Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. And we are back once again with one of our, as I'm calling it, the Wilderness Years episodes. This one focusing on three issues of Marvel 2-in-1, issues 61, 62, and 63. We're starring The Thing and Starhawk, Moondragon, and Adam Warlock. And since we do have Adam Warlock, sort of. Well, we got to have our warlock guy here. Dragging him forward from the 1960s time of Makar's Marvel, we got John Wilson back again. What's Yay. up, John? Now, I'm confused. You said this is a two-in-one, but we're doing three. So yes. is it three-in-one or two-in-one? I don't I don't know how many to put in one. If you add two-in-one, what do you get? Three, I see. Okay, okay. I am prepared. Yeah. <laughs> Plus... It says Marvel 2 and 1, but let's face it, there are way more than just a th- the thing and a guest star in each issue. Yeah, this is um, this is kind of pushing the format a little bit. You could almost choose your own adventure on who's going to be on the cover. Because yeah. the first episode, the first issue is not really a thing in Starhawk story. Mm-mm. It's a thing story that has Starhawk in it, but it has other people in it too. And it's not a team up between the two of them. And the second one is not a team up between him and Moondragon. It's it's yeah. a you know but we'll get into it. It's just it's just funny because this is kind of playing with the concept. Having read all of Marvel Team Up and being very used to the uh, the format that those tended to have, this uh, this played with that a bit. Went outside the scope. They do that quite a bit in Marvel Two and One. If you ever read the Project Pegasus saga, I've not. It, it it's something similar to that where like they do that too for it's like four or five issues where like. They do the same thing, but there's still a rotating cast of characters that stick around. Quasar's in there, um, the Bill Foster Giant Man, and a few other characters. It's done kind of like this way. Gotcha. Yeah, there were a couple of Spider-Man stories that would be multi-parters that would have several different characters in it, but it usually focused on whoever was on the cover, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, I... I uh, had never read this before. Like a lot of what we are d- going to be doing in these wilderness years, um, this will all be new material to me. Uh, I had read the 70s Warlock series before we started covering it, which is one of the reasons I wanted to, uh, I, I asked to be involved in the coverage because I knew that book. But between that and Infinity Gauntlet, I know nothing. So this is this has been a, a fun way to access some of those stories. Yeah, yeah. As I was doing some research on this, I realized there's a lot more stuff that's either at Warlock Thanos or Warlock Thanos adjacent that happened during that time period. And a lot of that stuff sets up what we're going to see in Infinity Gauntlet and uh, Warlock and the Infinity Watch. Mm. Whenever the hell we get to that. Whenever. So let's start off with the first one. Marvel 2-in-1 number 61, The Thing and Starhawk. Marvel 2-in-1 number 61, The Thing and Starhawk in The Coming of Her. Writer, Mark Grunewald. Pencils, Jerry Bingham. Inker, Gene Day. Colors, Barry Grossman. Letters, Joe Rosen. Cover art, George Perez and Terry Austin. Editor, Jim Salakrup. Cover dated March 1980. On sale date, December 4th, 1979. Cover price, 40 cents. You can find this reprinted in... Special Strange number 38, a 1984 French reprint. Star Magazine number 13, a 1991 Italian reprint. 
Essential Marvel 2-in-1 Volume 3 from 2009, Guardians of the Galaxy Tomorrow's Avengers Volume 2 from 2013, and Marvel Classic Number 15, a 2014 French reprint. A group of dock workers on New York's Pier 17 pull a strange cocoon from out of the water and are shocked when it suddenly bursts open and a blazing female figure rises from it and flies off into the night. The figure bursts into Alicia Masters' apartment, where she is having a candlelit dinner with the thing. Introducing herself as her, the female being attacks Ben when he tries to approach her. Confronting Alicia, she explains that she has sought Alicia out in order to find him. And when Ben tries to stop her from taking Alicia away, the powerful her blasts the thing away. Taking Alicia to Central Park, her explains that she is an artificial being created by the Enclave, and how she was originally formed in a male body called Paragon. Following the Enclave's battle with Doctor Strange and the Hulk, Paragon learned of the creation of him, and formed a cocoon that entered the ocean, where Paragon began the metamorphosis into her, so that it may be a perfect mate for him. She further explains that since Alicia had previous contact with him, she may be able to help her find her intended mate. Meanwhile, Ben returns to the Baxter building, only to find the rest of the Fantastic Four are nowhere to be found. He then calls the Avengers, and only finds Jarvis on duty. He then decides to try and use one of Reed's cosmic energy readers, but reaches a dead end. Then he is visited by Starhawk, a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy who have been staying at Avengers Mansion during their visit to the 20th century, and who is dispatched by Jarvis to help. Starhawk explains that he has the power to help Ben track down her and Alicia. Back in Central Park, her and Alicia are approached by Moondragon, who after a brief struggle with her, explains that she'd been waiting for the artificial being's coming. Moondragon then explains how him became Adam Warlock and perished during a battle against Thanos, sacrificing his life to save the universe from the tyrant, and that after the defeat of Thanos, the Avengers, Thing, Captain Marvel, and Spider-Man buried Adam's body on Counter-Earth. Believing that she has the power to resurrect Adam Warlock, her asks Moondragon to take her to Counter-Earth. Alicia asks to be taken along as well. At that moment, unaware of what's going on, the Thing and Starhawk arrive to try and save Alicia. The two attack Moondragon and her. However, they are easily overpowered and fail to stop Moondragon from raising her ship from out of the lake. Before they can escape, though, Starhawk tries once more to stop them and takes a point-blank burst of energy fired from her and crashes into the lake. Ben is forced to let them escape in order to save Starhawk from drowning. Reviving Starhawk, the two regroup, and Ben vows to rescue Alicia no matter what it takes. In all his decades of publishing history, one event has affected Superman more than any other. Worlds lived, worlds died, and that was only the beginning. Superman was never the same. Presenting Superman in Crisis. Available weekly from January 3rd, 2022 at johnreadscomics.com. So we have the coming of her. No jokes, please. Yeah. Um, I really like this cover. Uh, one of the things that stuck out to me about the cover is the starburst on the face. Uh, we have just recently talked about Fantastic Four 67 over on Make Ours Marvel. We're in that era. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Uh, I think the next issue we're going to record about is 70. Anyways, and I had not noticed on previous readings, I noticed for the first time on this read-through, uh, the little star swirl on the face of the cocoon in 67. Yeah. And that was really cool. And so you get to this cover, and it's it's not a, the exact same effect, but it's a very, very similar effect. It's more like a starburst lightning source than a swirl. But still, uh, I liked that. And then, of course, you have the all the little nodules down the sides of the cocoon, which like declares this to be an uh, Adam Warlock related cocoon. Exactly. And yeah. That's how, you know, Starhawk is there with his, not a Cape. I don't quite know how those work. I don't think they obey laws of physics. I think there's like a gravity null field just around his yellow loops. Yeah. Well, they, he flies through space. So, and it doesn't, you know, explode from decompression. So, laws of physics. Pugh. Who needs them? Exactly. Except but the yeah. word of the one who knows. Oh, my God. Starhawk <laughs> is so arrogant through all of this. It's not as much when he turns into Alita. Yeah. Not to be confused with Alita 1 from Transformers. But um, when he turns into Alita, he seems to lose a lot of his arrogance, which he should. She's a different person, different personality. Yeah. But, no, and- um I do. There is also when we get to that part. There's something I want to say about their two personalities that's interesting. But when we get to that, but yeah, Already? so we have, we have Starhawk. Now, by the way, do you, what do you know about Starhawk? I'm just curious. Like, obviously, you know the thing. I mean, you, it's the thing. Plus, you've been doing Mikor's Marvel for how long? Covering the first 70 issues of Fantastic Four, right? You should know who the thing is by now. If you don't, I, you're a very I have bad heard of Ben Grimm. He has <laughs> shown up once or twice on the show, maybe 70 times, possibly more. Uh, I, well, yeah, because he was a uh, um, regular on Strange Tales. It was it was the Torch strip that became the Torch and Thing strip. Yeah. Before it died, I have read the original Guardians of the Galaxy up through the Korvac saga, which would be right around this time. Okay. So I, I basically know the skinny with Starhawk and Alita and the revelations there. But I don't know anything that would have been happening during the 90s series where this team got their own book for a while. Okay, yeah, that's where I first really, I mean, I knew them from Korvac and a few other things, but I haven't, I still haven't actually, I need to, read the original Guardian series. Mm-hmm. I know them mostly from the Jim Valentino written and drawn series. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't read any of that, but I have read all of the stuff where they had their own series. And one of the, one of the Marvel sci-fi titled mags i don't know it wasn't premiere or it wasn't premiere what was it i don't know they were in something it might have been marvel presents yeah i've read that series um and all of their you know guest appearances where they kind of have a loose ongoing narrative thread through various annuals and stuff of other people's books i've read all that okay i need to read those but yeah the valentino one was pretty good at least the valentino issues he delves a butt-line into Starhawk, including his origin and why he's the one who knows. So that's pretty cool. Ah, okay. So we have an answer to that, finally. It's not just... It, it might be him being obnoxious, but it's not just him being obnoxious. I figure if anyone knows why he knows, Starhawk does. He better. I take his word for it. He is after one who knows. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we start off with the uh, a bunch of guys who saw something floating in the East River and decide to pull it out and it, it's like okay it looks like giant duty but okay <laughs> it is lumpy and gross and why are they messing with it yeah 
It's like that bit in Ghostbusters. Somebody blows their nose and you want to keep it. Why? Exactly. And they learned their lesson quickly because the thing basically pops open and then explodes a fire and an uh, uh, unknown form flies out. Mm-hmm. Which works because, I mean, yes, they tell us on the cover the covering of her, but we wouldn't have a clue who her was yet. Right. We don't know what a her is. This is Adam Warlock's cocoon for anyone who's been reading comics for more than five minutes. Uh, you expect it to be Adam Warlock. The fact that it's a shadowy character means there's some obfuscation probably going on. But yeah, but yeah you're expecting something Adam Warlocky. And so when we get to the thing's date with Alicia, which it's refreshing to know that 10 years from where we are in Make Ours Marvel, Ben Grimm is still very insecure in his relationship with Alicia. They haven't really progressed much at all. You know, they're they're dating in public now, which I guess is good, but it's not really very different well, here than it is in the they, 60s. They're having, they're having dinner alone at her place. Oh, you're right. That is her place. I, I, I just looked, I was looking at the first page and for some reason it felt like a restaurant. That's what I thought at the first time, too. And then I realized, wait, those are just her statues all over. I mean, right. the way the table said it looks like a restaurant. But it's not. So that's, well, I guess maybe that has to do with his insecurities. Like, let's stay in. Because, I mean, he looks like he's dressed up even. Yeah, he does. And she does. She's wearing a very yeah. nice dress, which yeah. which contributes to the, the idea that it's a restaurant. Um, then she, excuse me, her, breaks in through the skylight. Yes. Because that's what skylights are for in the Marvel Universe. They're doors. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, and she's got your generic bathing suit outfit on because this is what super women are always wear in comics basically until like 2019 i think is when they stopped wearing bathing suits all the time um yes yes i mean on the other hand it also is basically doing the same doing the same thing that adam warlock wore when he was him it yes. was just him in the little box in the little rocky horror briefs mm-hmm. so she it's basically just doing the exact copy of that as well not you're deba- right. not arguing what you're saying but sometimes there is more of a reason for it than others. Not saying it's still always great. Right. You're right. He, 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 original was, him was walking down the, the beach in a Speedo. She's walking down the beach in a One Piece. It's, you're right, it's the same idea. Yeah. Yeah. Again, though, not saying what you're saying is wrong in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I forget exactly what she presents to Alicia. Why does she want Alicia? I need your help finding him. Uh, oh god i'm trying to remember i knew this a minute ago oh i think it's when she was connected to uh connected to the computers from the um the beehive and she saw that she alicia was the one they called to help with him okay so since alicia had the rapport with him she's hoping alicia can help her help her find him yeah which is kind of funny because like these people have never had when he's him he's nothing you know, he's basically a, t- a newborn baby that has no clue what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and none of these people have any connection to him as a person, as Adam Warlock. You know, either on the counter or the counter earth version or the uh, Jim Starlin cosmic suicide version. Yeah, her is completely ignorant of any of those changes. She is looking for Fantastic Four 67, Thor 100, whatever it was, 65 or whatever. Yeah. that She's looking for that guy. Exactly. And does she give her origin yet? Yeah, she gives her yeah. origin to Alicia. So here's here's what I find really interesting. 
We talked briefly in the Paragon issue about how Paragon was going to turn into her. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. The sole reason that Paragon reorganized their physical form into a female form was to get pregnant off of him. Mm-hmm. That's all they want to do. They want to further the perfect golden human race off of the perfect golden human male. And so they refashion themselves into a perfect golden human female. And this male version is completely forgotten. Yeah, there is. It's, again, very much like Adam in the beginning. They have no clue what to do with their life. They don't have one. They're basically, even though they're not, they turned against their creators, they're still basically just doing what they were originally programmed to do, which was be the new race of perfect beings. Which is, what you know, if you remember Thor 165, 166, why does he fight Thor? Because he likes Sif. Because he wanted to take Sif and make her his mate. They, neither one of them had, and unfortunately for her, spoilers people, but unfortunately for her, Adam got Jim Starlin. So Jim, or not, sorry, not Jim Starlin, he got first Roy Thomas. So Roy Thomas at least gave him a reason to do things besides just that. Her never was given a purpose, at least not for, you know, not that I remember for a long time, if ever. Because her is going to revisit this whole thing in the 90s, mm. doing the same thing again. Unfortunately, her never got a creative team that wanted to make a series about her or put her in a series. And that's the sad thing, because they start off more or less the same way. Mm -hmm. They don't know anything. They just know good, bad. So they know that the people create them bad. Get away from me. But beyond that, it's like they still go with what they're told by the beehive. Well, we're the perfect beings. We're going to create the new perfect, you know, perfect race. That's our job. We're going to do it. You know, and unfortunately, sadly, her never got the chance to have anybody take her in a different direction like Adam did. Mm-hmm. Which sucks. Uh, knowing that she was going to be changing physical sex, I was looking for some trans metaphor as I was going through this. Of course, this is 1979, so yeah. any trans metaphor would be completely unintentional. But it does happen, looking at Ultra Humanite. It does happen from time to time. I'm not trans, so I can't speak from a position of experience, but I don't really see any metaphor here. Uh, They were a physical male. They wanted to have babies. They became a physical female. And now it's pretty much like they always were female because this origin, I don't know how much it gets recalled. I haven't read a lot of her stories, but it seems pretty unimportant to everything that's going to happen to her later in life. From what I recall, probably. Which I guess by itself is kind of a trans metaphor because it's it's like, you know, uh, uh, a trans femme person is finding a female existence um, in their body to match their mind. And that's kind of what's going on here. It's just for a really stilted 70s space sci-fi reason. I must have babies with perfect humans. Yeah. So whether your desire is to get pregnant or your desire is to just have a body that matches your psychological gender, I guess there's a little bit of metaphor there. A little. Not much, but like we said, if it is, it's uninten- it was unintentional by creators, probably. Mm-hmm. I don't think there were attention to that. But And now we're on page 16, and we finally get to the guest star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the reasons why I was like, this isn't really a Starhawk story. 
Yeah. If no, anything, this is a her Marvel two in one thing in her story. Oh God, yeah. All three issues. Yeah, but especially this first one. You could definitely say the first one at least. Yeah. But you can't say the thing in her because nobody knows what a her is. And really, she's the antagonist of this story, not the team up. She's very aggro. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's not trying to kill anybody, but her first reaction is always violence. That's pretty common, though, with, with story points in her position. Somebody wants something done, they need a person to do it, and they're going to go do it. Being kind of ruthless and being misunderstood by the people is pretty much normal. That's true. Um, I wouldn't see it as being anything unusual. Uh, I think it reads a little bit differently to our male psyches because we're not used to seeing women doing this kind of role. But, yeah, I think it's pretty standard behavior. Well, speaking of somebody we're used to seeing doing that role, we have Moondragon now shows up. Yes. Can't say, can't say, can't say you're, if you've read more than two issues of her, you can't say you're surprised when she does stuff like that. Right. That's definitely her move. That's her move. Although she's kind of on the defensive in this and she stops and listens and she's the one who's able to tell her a little bit about what happens with him and how he is Adam Warlock and how he died saving the world. Yeah. Which interestingly enough was in a Marvel two in one annual kind of the least expecting place to put it. That's where yeah. it was. If her and the thing had a chance to talk, he could have told her that too. Mm hmm. Cause he was there as well with Spider-Man. Yeah. Spidey in space, like he should be. <laughs> like he should but, be. <laughs> but I do I, love how the two get, how Moodrag and Starhawk just kind of walk in. They're like, hi, can we yeah. do the story? They just kind no, of walk into the series. It's great. <laughs> no one goes looking for them. They just kind of show up. Yeah. I like how Starhawk's yellow things recede into his costume when he's just walking around. Yeah. Like, again, there are no laws of physics here. They're just stripes on his suit when he's walking around. And then they turn into um, not fins, not wings, but outlines of fins and wings. Yeah. I I call it the space butterfly look. It is very space butterfly. You are right. It's less hawk and more monarch. Oh, wait. Nice pun there. Yeah. That was totally unintentional. But, but really, <laughs> Armageddon 2001 for the win. Yay. It's the future from the past. <laughs> yep. Yep. But, um, so they, they track down the, the, so between the two of them, the thing and Starhawk, they track down Alicia Moondragon and her. And one thing I've noticed, by the way, I want to say one thing I've noticed in these three issues, did they like leave the oven on for her to bake for a while longer? Cause you put her against Adam Warlock, and she is severely overpowering him. Like, they really upped the, the beehive, really upped the, uh, the recipe. Because she could do a whole bunch of stuff that he doesn't. She in, is. In his first appearance? Well, I'm talking about, well, at least in general, that I know of Adam Warlock. Like, he doesn't get to blast people, and then when they fall into the concrete, reform it so it forms around them. Yeah, he had really nebulous, undefined energy powers in that first appearance. Um, but it was all from his cocoon. Yeah, and it was very brief. He doesn't really have them in the Thor issue. At, whenever he actually gets out of his cocoon, it's the last page of the story. Yeah, well, there is that. But, I mean, like, so, like, I kept thinking about that as I was reading these. I'm like, damn, like, I didn't realize how powerful she was. Like, 
I've only read a little bits and pieces of her. I always, and since she was supposed to be like the female counterpart to Adam Warlock, I kind of just assumed they had the same abilities, more or less. Mm -hmm. But no, she is definitely quite above him in power wise, power set wise. Yeah, yeah, she does seem to be pretty darn up there. Don't want to mess with her. No. You want to help her figure out what's going on. Um, of course, the thing is his usual super overprotective. Alicia can't do anything for herself. She has no agency. I've got to take care of her. I've got to protect her from everything that possibly happened to her, which is his whole motivation for going after her. Mm-hmm. Is, and I mean, I, I suspect that what happens by the end of this story is that she shows Ben that she was actually fine the entire time. I suspect that has also happened before probably more than 10 times and Ben really should be getting over it by now. And will happen again, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet she still marries him 50 years later. You know what? He probably got used to it. Eventually he dealt with it. He moved, you know, he learned that about that and accepted it and then found out she was kidnapped by scrolls. Right. He's like, that's it. I knew I was right. Son of a bitch. And then they had to start all over again. Because Johnny Storm thought he was dating Alicia, and no, it was a scroll the entire time. Because what's the worst thing you could do to someone who's paranoid? Show them they're right. Right, right. But yeah, um, so they get Moondragon's ship and fly away. So, now, I, I'm i trying to remember, I thought Starhawk could fly through space. So, either I'm wrong, or the East River is worse than being in space. <laughs> well, she did blast him. That too. She blasted him into the river. Um, halfway to Jersey. I hate to say it, but she makes my pal Thundra look like a cheerleader. And so I think whenever he goes after, whenever Thing goes after him, he's just knocked out from that. That makes more sense. Because I'm like, he can't. Like, if you're going to be in space, you can't drown. That's what's annoying about Thor is because Thor both has, you know problems with air and poisonous gas and stuff, but also goes to space. So it's really inconsistent. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that's right. Yeah, that's a, that's always weird and annoying. It's like, wait, they could fly through space. What do they care about water? What's mm-hmm. the difference? They're not breathing. Yeah, you can't drown. But if Starhawk can fly through space, he can't fly as fast as her, and he's bringing the thing with him, so they need a ship anyway. And so that's where we end the first part of the story. Before we move on, any thoughts on any other thoughts on the issue or these characters? No, it's um, it's definitely a, a part one of a story, not a story on its own. But it's definitely intriguing and engaging. It brings back a concept that I really like with the Adam Warlock stuff. Um, you don't know what's going to happen because he's dead. Yeah. If you're sitting here in 1979 reading this... This could be the revival of Adam Warlock, that really cool character who got killed off a few years ago. Yeah, because what? Do you, how do you know? Right. He's Sadly, that's not going to be the case, but but you don't know that. No. And, and I think they're going to do some cool stuff with the story. Yeah. No, I like it. It does. It moves pretty fast. I mean, it's part one of a story, but it's not like while well, it's still the setup. It's not just all slow setup. This is a fast-moving Marvel comic. There's, lot, you know, while they're doing the setup and backstory, there's also lots of, you know, flying around and punching and people going, going the river and all that stuff. Marvel Two and One Number Sixty Two: The Thing in Mortal Combat with Moon Dragon, 
in The Taking of Counter-Earth. Writer, Mark Rumwald. Pencils, Jerry Bingham. Inker, Gene Day. Colors, George Rousseau. Letters, Joe Rosen. Cover art by George Perez, Joe Sinnott, and Gaspar Saladino. Editor, Jim Salakrup and Bob Budiansky. Cover dated April 1980. On sale date, January 1st, 1980. Cover price, 40 cents. You can find this reprinted in Special Strange number 39, a 1985 French reprint. Star Magazine number 13, a 1991 Italian reprint. Essential Marvel 2-in-1 Volume 3 from 2009. Guardians of the Galaxy Tomorrow's Avengers Volume 2 from 2013. And Marvel Classic number 15, a 2014 French reprint. Following their defeat at the hands of Her and Moondragon, the Thing and Starhawk retreat to the Baxter Building so they can get a spaceship to follow after them. Inside the Fantastic Four's hangar, they decide to take the Skrull Flying Saucer that the FF had had in their possession since their first encounter with the Skrulls. Meanwhile, the three women are on their way to find Adam Warlock's body, which was buried on Counter-Earth following his death. However, upon their arrival, they have found that Counter-Earth has gone missing, but its moon was still intact. Providing Alicia with a spacesuit, the three land on the artificial moon and enter the High Evolutionary Secret Complex. There, they find the inert body of the High Evolutionary himself. But before they can investigate further, they are confronted by the Thing and Starhawk, who attack. During the battle, the Thing faces Moondragon and finds himself woefully outmatched, while Starhawk battles her. During the fight, Starhawk is unable to stop his wife Alita's personality coming to the fore of their shared body and taking over, causing the body they share to change into its female form, who attacks her with even more ferocity. The battle ends when Alicia calls for all the combatants to stop and explains to Ben that she came with the two women of her own free will. With the misunderstanding sorted out, the quartet of heroes decide to band together to help find Counter-Earth and revive Adam Warlock. Moondragon uses her mental powers and finds that the High Evolutionary's life force has left his body. Detecting that he has become a higher being, Her uses her powers to bring his life force back into his body, reviving the geneticist and restoring him to his previous form. The High Evolutionary explains what has happened to him. Adam Warlock, thinking that Counter-Earth had been destroyed, even though it clearly had not been and something was making Warlock unable to see the world, struck out at the High Evolutionary with a blast from his soul gem. However, before it could strike him, the High Evolutionary advances evolution into a godlike form, and his life force left his body before his soul could be stolen. After explaining about Adam Warlock's fate, the High Evolutionary is shocked to learn that his artificially created world had been stolen. Scanning space, the Evolutionary finds a unique radiation trail that they can track the Counter-Earth's location, and so they set a course to find the missing world. And now, Marvel 2-in-1, number 62... Which, by the way, you might want to pay attention with what it says in the cover of this one. The Thing in Mortal Kombat with Moondragon. Mortal Kombat. So it's not the Thing and Moondragon. It's the Thing fighting Moondragon. We get accuracy on the cover, at least. At least it is. I, I, I missed that before because I thought about that. I was reading this. I was like, this is not a team up between these two. Yeah. Also featuring Starhawk, the Cosmic Guardian. Because he's still around. And whatever happened to Counter-Earth? At least we're wrapping up some stuff from before. Which, to be fair, it's Mark Runewald writing, which he did like to do a lot. Yeah, he does. So Starhawk's still bushed from getting knocked out by her. Now, I like that Ben uses a little belt marker to access the elevator. 
because that was one of the questions I've had reading 60s comics is you so rarely see them access the elevator that I wasn't sure how much this elevator button thing was going to stick around. It's established whenever they first get the um, the building. And I knew about it way back in my childhood because whenever Spider-Man tries to go to the Fantastic Four, he can't use the elevator because it doesn't have the Fantastic Four special belt. Ah, uh, Spider-Man 1, right? Right, which yeah. is what I had as a, as a, as a wee lad. Um, and... So I've been wondering, does this get forgotten? Is this one of those things that gets tossed away eventually and just left in the lore? But no, I guess it goes all the way until they lose the building because here's Ben using it again. Yeah, because I want to say I remember some John Byrne penciled issues of Fantastic Four that they do use the elevator as well. Gotcha. So it at least is going to stick around till probably at least, like you said, when they lose the building. Maybe they'll even do it with the Four Freedoms Plaza. I'm not sure. I don't remember that much about that part. At some point, they get robotic secretaries who... who, uh... Yes. But we have a very brief synopsis, like literally more or less a panel. Oh, yeah, of her taking Alicia? Yeah. So they do that pretty... They get through that pretty quickly. And then the part I like where they're like, we have to go to space. Well, take your pick. We got a bunch of spaceships. (laughs) And they kept a scroll ship... From the second issue. Well, what are you going to do? Sell it a garage sale? Did they mention the scroll ship at the end of the second issue? No, they did not. But I guess they used it because that's how they got up to talk to the scrolls at the end of the story. Yeah, because didn't they go up there and convince them that they were scrolls and the, the everything the hum, you know the humans are more dangerous than we realize? We're going to go back down there and uh, make sure that they don't know to follow us. We'll sacrifice right. ourselves for the rest of you. They, I, I don't recall them ever mentioning it again after that, and so I kind of forgot that it existed until you think about the actual plot of the story. Yeah, I guess they had to have a ship. Yeah. Because how else are they going to get into space? And someone thought, yeah, they probably have a scroll ship. So even if they have no other way of getting into space, they've still got that clunker lying around. So let's go use that. Yeah, so they take the scroll ship because I think, uh, yeah, Starhawk says he this will be the most uh, the best ship for going through space travel. I mean, the, for far space travel. Take it from one who knows. Exactly. But I am very amused by, like, eh, this is where it keeps all the spaceships we got. We got a whole showroom to choose from. Pick one. Which one do you like? You like color? You want the style? You want the for, for, you know substance? What do you want? <laughs> right. How about the 50s flying saucer? Let's hey, take we, that. We got one of those. And if not, I'm sure I can, you know, get stretcher to build one. And they start talking about the high evolutionary. Um... And, you know, the role he played with Counter-Earth and Adam Warlock and all of that stuff is kind of recapping where things were. And if you were a Starlin Warlock fan, you might not even know about the high evolutionary role in everything because that was several years of comics earlier. Yeah. Uh, So getting that recapped here and just kind of treating that entire era of Adam Warlock's life as a contiguous whole was refreshing. Yeah. Because I feel like in fans' eyes, it's, it's separated. Because everything gets so overshadowed by the Starlin stuff that it gets forgotten. It, it's mm-hmm. not the stuff that gets reprinted. And to be fair, it's it's book. not as engaging a story. No, but it's still worth it's still worth remembering. No, no, but it was at the very least, I would say uh, anything Professor Von Doom because he was fun. Mm-hmm. And the first four issues, the two Marvel premiere and the first two issues of Warlock. Right. Because that was still a really. I mean, that would have. I said it before, and I said it back when we did them, I say it again. They could have just done that as Warlock 1 through 4. It would have been a great miniseries. Yeah. 
you know, if they wanted to stop there, they could have. And they told a whole complete story in those four. The three, the, her, Moondragon, and uh, Alicia. And here's another thing that her can do. She just converts Alicia's dress to a spaceship, spacesuit with air supply. I believe it. I'm like, I'm like, this is almost like Phoenix level. Yeah, just matter reorganization. Yeah, when Gene was Phoenix, just like, I'm going to change this into your costumes. Boom. It's like, yeah. what? I just, I just did it. Didn't you see that? Uh, that's how yeah. you do it. I mean, it's pretty impressive what she can do. It, it's amusing here. It's actually making Moondragon slightly humble. Because she's saying, she's like, I thought I was powerful. She's like, I thought I was all that. And you are just like blowing me away. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. But good for her. She's not just being like, I hate you because you're better than me. She's like, I must prove I'm as good as you. She's at least, well, it's fueled by her ego. She's at least trying to better herself as opposed to attack because right. someone's better than her. Because for all her faults, I mean, Moondragon is a hero still. Most of the time. Most of the time she is. Yeah. And she's going to do the whole Infinity Watch thing where she's basically a, a reluctant hero the entire time. Yeah. But so she is still, she does have that core of like being a good person in her. Deep down sometimes. And they get to the high evolutionary. And I know that by this point, probably there have been several high evolutionary stories. We recently finished the high evolutionary story in the Hulk. Oh, so the there's, Tales there's, of Astonish, right? Yeah, the late, late the Tales of Astonish. So there's the, there's the Thor... Mount Wendigore teaching the new men school. Jane Foster's a teacher. There's that story. Yeah. And then there's the, uh, my new men on my other planet have rebelled and are fighting against me and are, they're going to war. I try to raise them to like peace, but they're too human after all. And at the end of that story, he uses his evolutionizer on himself and basically turns into a God and skadooshes away. And I was like, huh, well, how does that jive <laughs> with Marvel premiere number one? Because guess what? There's not another story between them. And so this kind of helped me understand that from now on, he can still do his mortal pink armor high evolutionary form. It's just more like an incarnation apparition than it is his natural state. He seems to go back and forth. They call him a man god, which he wasn't originally, but now basically is. And so they're trying to figure out what's wrong with him because he's basically dead as far as they know. Mm-hmm. And that's when Thing and Starhawk show up. So we've got, we get fight, 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 fight. And Alita comes out. Yeah. And we get the... And yeah, that's one thing I was going to say is, even though he's the more arrogant of the two, Starhawk is also the more uh, defensive. He fight, he, It seems like from re- reading this here, he fights defensively. Alita's more fighting offensively. Okay. I'm just saying it's, it's nice to have, you know, at least there's some difference between the two characters. Because otherwise, when you have some a situation like this, it could be too easy for them to blend together. Yeah. Especially since it's not much of a different look. I mean, it's basically just a mini dress version of his costume. Mm-hmm. So there's not much difference between the two of them. Look, I mean, there's enough difference, but it's still the same basis. But at least here we can see something different. I mean, this is something Starhawk wouldn't do. She just tackles her. I think part of that is also her not knowing what's going on. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying it's – I'm not talking about it on the her part. I'm talking about from Alita's part. Like, that's not yeah, something I was using the pronoun. I was using the pronoun, not the name. Oh, okay. Um, Alita doesn't know what's going on. She yeah. manifests and is just like, oh, 
I'm in the middle of a fight. Okay, well, I guess I'm just going to go fight. Yeah, And she just I'm, goes at it. What I'm saying, like, tackling somebody is not something Starhawk would ever do. No, she comments on that. She says, my husband was restraining himself from a misguided pacifism. The part that I hate, the one part of the story that I would just like to rip the pages out, uh-huh. is I'm the top of page 17. I was going to say. This is a story trope that Ben Graham needs to have never, ever done. Because it's not his first time. I don't know if it's his last time. I have no idea. um, Spanking is something you do to a recalcitrant child. And it's even frowned on by most people in today's world, even for that purpose. Yes. The idea of using it on an adult just because they're not doing what you want them to do, or they're not doing what, in your opinion, is good sense, is is terrible. And the thing is, is this is never used against boys who, you know, are going their own way or doing their own thing or disagreeing with you and, and choosing another path. It's only done with women. And it's just, it's terrible. There's several instances in fiction where this is a thing, and it, yeah. Yeah, I even, yeah, this is just, at the very least, this is just weird. Mm. It's just, at the very least, it's just a weird thing. I mean, because we go from the page before, it's kind of amusing, it's fun. It's like, yes, Moondragon can fight, but the problem, of course, is she's fighting a wall. You know, she's trying to use pressure points and stuff. And it's like, yes, you'd be great against somebody who has flesh, but this guy is just rock. Right. You know, your pressure points are not going to do anything to him. So, but it's kind of a fun thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, what the hell? Where'd the phone go? What happened? Mm-hmm. It just got weird. It's like, it, it, what and was the that? Thing is, it, it's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be laughable. It's supposed to be, ha, ha, ha. She can't hurt him, but he can put her over his knee. And it's just gross. It would have been better if he did like the thing, the thing that the Hulk does, and sometimes the thing too, where they use the finger on somebody. They just, they just like flick somebody with their finger. Oh, just flick, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been a lot better because here, instead, it goes from fun to what was that old commercial, like that uh, PSA commercial to get kids talking about like if somebody was, you know, it said I was playing with my uncle, and then it changed, it got icky, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of how I feel here. It's like this is fun. This is got icky. Okay, can we? Let's change the page. Can I turn the page now? Am I done with that page? Great. It's not made up for, but at least we do have the change of Alicia taking off her helmet and telling Ben where to get off. Yeah, She's like, ah, stop fighting, dummy. I'm fine. Right. And Ben immediately has a change of attitude. Once he knows that she's safe, he's immediately okay. Why he always jumps to the wrong conclusions with her is another storytelling trope of Ben Grimm. But yeah. Now, with just her asserting herself and saying, calm your tits, everything is suddenly a work-together story now. We're all working together to figure out what happened to the High Evolutionary, what happened to him, all that other stuff. It would have been so much – yeah, life would have been so much easier for everybody if in the the last issue her had made for Alicia like a giant megaphone. She'd be like, Ben, I'm fine. Don't worry. I'll be back. (laughs) I'll be back for dessert. Yeah. Go get go buy some pastries. I'll be back later. I mean, I guess we would have had a much shorter story, or it wouldn't have been a Marvel two one story. So, but still, they have Moon Dragon to try and figure out what happened. See if there's any mind left to reach, and we find out his brain is missing. 
Uh, but her is basically able to pull his essence out of the ectosphere. I'm making up words as we go sure. and put it back into the high evolutionary, essentially bringing him back to life from the dead. Another thing Adam cannot do. Another thing, Adam. No, he has the opposite power. Yeah. He sucks people's souls out, but that's only with his mind gem, which we get specifically denoted in the next part of the story. Um, and High Evolutionary fills us in on a scene from the Adam Warlock saga that we had never seen before. Yeah, so there was a story in FF 170, like 3 to 5, where the High Evolutionary fights Galactus. to Because Galactus had said, hey, I promise not to eat Earth, but counter Earth? Loophole, baby. So he fights Galactus. And then shortly after, which is the last time the thing saw him, which is why he was surprised to see the high evolutionary unconscious. Mm -hmm. And then Adam shows up all of a sudden to uh, beat the snot out of the high evolutionary. Right. Saying, you destroy counter earth. High evolutionary is like, it's right there. What are you talking about? (laughs) And for some reason, Adam Warlock can't see it. He, He appears to be delusional or something. And so he tries to use his soul gem on the high evolutionary, but the high evolutionary basically sends his soul out of his arm at the same time. And I guess because of the combination, he could not go back in. Plus also, it's also at some point here, it says that, Oh yeah. He basically says, once you do that, you become like, so at peace or something that you kind of forget about the mortal realm. Mm-hmm. You know, so basically spend his time meditating. He appears not actually have been hurt by warlock he just left his body once he realized that warlock was attacking him he's like i'm not gonna suffer that i'm just gonna leave my body yeah and then once he left his body kind of forgot to go back in it happens you get distracted you forget where you leave your body so again we got somebody else being filled in on warlock's death Mm -hmm. like a theme in this story it's like we got it like oh almost at the end of the story we got to recap what happened to adam he's dead now and then the high evolutionary finds out this time that the planet is gone. It wasn't gone before. Warlock was making up crap, but now it is gone. And her is all dismayed because she really wants to get her jiggy on with Adam Warlock. Um, but she's got to find him first and raise him from the dead. And then they can have their babies. Yes. So where is Counter Earth? We don't know. We have to find it. Now, I'm trying to remember, because I'm looking through... I know, I'm not sure if it was this issue, or is it this issue or the next issue, where they talk about how the High Evolutionary is such a benevolent god to counter-Earth and was never prone to mood swings. And I'm like, did you not read the Warlock series? Wasn't you who aced counter-Earth? Of course not. I left my world. But I have faced Galactus on its behalf if I hadn't. Whatever happened to it must have happened while I was disembodied by due care. I don't know. It doesn't doesn't about what he was like when it was well i don't know because he wait adam warlock being a benevolent god or high evolutionary being a benevolent god high evolutionary well he just did the whole create the world instead of fast forwarding at the beginning of the story he wasn't really involved later was he well no remember in the warlock series every other issue was like adam can i destroy this world now can i destroy it now can i destroy it can i please destroy it oh that's right that's all he wanted to do was destroy the planet every five seconds he's like are you sure i can't destroy it now come on come on please because he wanted to, he wanted to kill the man beast. Yeah, he's like, oh, man beast ruined it. It's worthless. Because he wasn't viewing it as a planet of people living there. He was viewing it as his experiment. And since the experiment was failed, well, toss it. Very Old Testament. 
Yeah. So I'm not sure if it's this issue or next issue. Maybe it's the next issue, but it was just very funny. I remember reading that going, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, are you on crack? Maybe this next issue. Stupid grit commercial. But yeah, so they find a way to track it. And so they're all going to go find out what happened to Counter-Earth and who was able to steal a planet. Dun-dun-dun. Issue 62, thoughts? I think we thought it all the way through it. Yeah, it's... um, Make sure those final ones, you know, got your final ones before I moved on. No, it's... I I tend to view this more as like one entire story. Uh, The second chapter, finally everyone's on the same page. The... We have gotten past, I don't know if this is just a Marvel trope, but it's always associated with Marvel, the misunderstanding and the fight. We've gotten past that part of the story, and that's when things can actually start happening. It's kind of refreshing when you get past that trope. Having Alicia bring Ben to his senses yeah, so we, they can finally have a, a progression of plot is good. We get that over and done with. We don't have to have yeah, another issue of Ben fighting everybody. Mm-hmm. Marvel 2-in-1, number 63. The thing in Warlock? In Suffer Not a Warlock to Live. Writer, Mark Grumald. Pencils, Jerry Bingham. Inker, Gene Day. Colors, Roger Slifer. Letters, Joe Rosen. Cover art, George Perez and Terry Austin. Editor, Jim Salakrup and Bob Budiansky. Cover date, May 1980. On sale date, February 5th, 1980. Cover price, 40 cents. You can find this one reprinted in Special Strange number 40, a 1985 French reprint, Star Magazine number 13, a 1991 Italian reprint, Essential Marvel 2 in 1 Volume 3 from 2009, Guardians of the Galaxy Tomorrow's Avengers Volume 2 from 2013, and Marvel Classic number 15, a 2014 French reprint. Our heroes have been tracking the stolen world of Counter Earth and have now caught up to the thieves. They are using several ships ringed around the planet that project the stasis field that is keeping the entire population in suspended animation, most likely also doing something to keep the planet itself from being ripped apart during towing. As the one who knows, Starhawk knows which is the lead ship, and he goes there along with her and Moondragon, leaving Alicia, the Thing, and the High Evolutionary behind as backup. Our cosmically powered heroes encounter the giant-sized crew, but are able to take the most amount easily, because they're just movers, not gods or warriors. Deciding talking would be the quickest and least painful way to resolve everything, the captain of the ship teleports Ben, Alicia, and the High Evolutionary to his bridge. We see that the captain is Sphinctor, who we met a while ago, giving the recap in either a Captain Marvel or Warlock issue. I forget which. Sphinctor and his crew were hired by the Beyonders, who noticed the planet when the High Evolutionary was creating it, and it piqued their interest. After doing some interdimensional spying, Sphinctor realized Adam Warlock was someone who would never make a deal. So while he's getting crucified and coming back to life a while ago, Sphinctor messed with the soul gem, releasing its more vampiric appetites. He also created the illusion that Warlock had grown too big for our solar system, and made him think that the High Evolutionary had destroyed Counter-Earth. The High Evolutionary is curious about these Beyonders, and agrees to let Sphinctor and his crew continue with their job, as long as he gets to go with them. And her is allowed to go to the surface to find Adam. After some negotiations from Ben, Sphinxor agrees and sends the five, not the High Evolutionary, to the surface. They find Adam's grave, and her is able to resurrect him. But it's just an empty shell. Distraught, she returns him to his rest and leaves. Hi, I'm Blaine Dowler, host of Bedtime in the Public Domain. 
In this podcast series, I'll read bedtime stories from books in the public domain. Each weekday, I'll release one chapter or short story from a selected larger collection. Once the entire book is done, I'll also release an audiobook version, including all chapters or short stories, before taking a few days off to prepare the next series. All stories will be from one of the children's categories from the Project Gutenberg website, because they do an excellent job of editing the content to ensure it's in public domain, and I have neither the time nor expertise required to do that myself. Suggestions for the stories that come next are welcome and encouraged. You can find the show at Bureau42.com, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. And now on to Marvel 201 number 63, The Thing and Warlock? And we see on the cover, The Thing and Moondragon and Starhawk behind Adam's grave as Adam's hand comes out of the earth. Very horror movie style. I know, very, yeah, very Night of the Living Dead looking. Suffer not a warlock to live. That's a misquote, but okay. Now, okay, so I was wrong. It wasn't 62. It's here in the first page of 63, the third panel. I'm sorry, the third um, caption box. Know, too, that the high, evolu- high evolutionary was a good and just god to his planet, not given the fits of wrath and vengeance. Mm. Maybe read warlock. Maybe later. Yeah. Maybe after the Warlock series, whenever he was just being God to his planet for a while, that's whenever he was a good and just God. Maybe Warlock finally convinced him that, you know what? Even corrupt humans got to earn a living, too. Yeah. Because I'm just reading that going, um, that is completely against what I read through eight issues of Warlock. Mm hmm. Like, th- that's all the high I wanted to do. I want to destroy the planet now, Adam. Come on, let me destroy it. Yeah. So I really liked this two-page spread of the um, planet diagram. Oh. Yeah, yeah, giving, showing everybody together and giving us like a little, like a kind of like the old Justice League or Legion of Superheroes title page where you see all the characters in the uh, on the front telling you who everybody is. Yeah, the roll call. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. It's a neat layout. It has everyone's little head medallions catching up on what their role is in the storyline. Um the idea of the different satellites ringing this planet because of reasons we don't know yet is a cool concept. The face work is a little bit odd on this. Do we change artists? Uh, I don't think so. Well, let me look back. So it's Jerry Bingham and Gene Day in this issue. Mm-hmm. Nope, same in 62. Yep, same same creative team. Okay, so it it's a little off in 63, uh, at least at this opening page, uh, splash page. The oh, first yeah. page is good, but the two-page spread, some of those faces just look a little off as we go in. Like, Warlock is weird. Yes. Uh, Alita and um, Starhawk together are weird, but most of it's fine. I yeah. just may, maybe it was a little bit of a hurry. Yeah, that's possible. And this was weird. I wonder if this was done just to make it easier for the penciler not to have so many characters. Because they're going to go down to the ship to see what's going on and who's taking the planet. They're like, okay, High Evolutionary, you're pretty much one of the most powerful ones here, so you stay back in reserve. And the thing's like, and it's too dangerous for Alicia, which means I'm staying with her. So you three go. Yeah. So I will be a backseat in my own book. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, that's also weird like that. It's almost like I wonder if like he forgot. It's like, wasn't the thing so you know, I can imagine like the you know, Groomwall getting the pages back going, 
Where's the thing? He's supposed to be in the fight. <laughs> Not today, Satan. Jerry, um, did, you, did you forget to draw the thing? You know, the, the star? So then we can meet the giant sphincters. I mean, sphinxers. Yes. Yeah, these aliens are like three times the size of like all the people, all the humans. They're like 20 feet tall or something. Mm-hmm. Not that they stand a chance. Because these are cosmic powered entities. Yeah, well, we got her, Starhawk, and Moondragon, so they're being taken down. Mm-hmm. And then we see their captain, and he teleports in High Revolutionary Thing and Alicia and says, Hiya! <laughs> Hiya, folks! I'm Sphinctor! And it's like, hey! Who knew that guy was going to come back? Right. Do you have, like, a comic to narrate? Well, actually, that's why I'm here. I'm going to give you the backstory. Yeah. I know English. I watch TV. The Police Academy movies were great. Yeah. <laughs> I watch your sitcoms. And again, we have a whole thing where everyone's fighting, and then they'll, and they get they get to the main part. It's like, we won. We're going to win. We're going to... Everyone stop fighting. We don't need to anymore. We're done. This is like the issues, like the Killjoy story. Like everyone gets all excited to do their fighting thing. And then like they're about to get to the final boss and they're told, nope, nope, we're going to be friends now. Yeah. They're like, aw. So, yeah, we find out what the backstory is here. So what's fun is this explains and answers a lot of questions that I had about the back end of the Warlock saga. Which I believe I told you would be explained here. Yeah. I think I did. I hope I um, did. Because the idea of him going out into space and therefore galactic expansion, therefore he expanded and came back to Earth that was too big for the solar system, it did not make a single lick of sense. Turns out that was a Sphinxor-induced hallucination. Yep. And the same thing with thinking Counter-Earth was destroyed. Mm-hmm. So I like that because it gives us a reason for the high evolutionary stuff in the storyline, but we can also connect it back to stuff in the actual original story. It makes it feel more organic rather than, oh, I just made Warlock believe that because I can um, for this particular well, story. Yeah. Well, it's one of the retcons I am more of a fan of. The retcons that doesn't say that didn't happen. It's just... Okay, let's explain how or why it happened. There was more going on than you knew. Everything you saw was real. There was just more going on than you knew. Yeah, kind of like I do, you know, kind of like when they went back and said, no, the Hulk was gray originally. Mm-hmm. After doing reprints of, you know, saying, oh, well, since we can't do the gray color, well, we're going to do green. And then I believe there were reprints since that, you know, during that time period where they reprinted him green in issue one. I believe so, yeah. So, and instead of saying, no, what you saw didn't happen, it's like, what you saw happened. So I like those kind of retcons where they don't completely just because at least that way you can still go read back and read that original story. And it still is part of the part of the overall narrative. It's not taken out. Mm -hmm. But let's go back real quick to why Spinkor is moving it, because he's basically just a mover. Right. You know, he's just intergalactic U-Haul. But who is he? Who hired him? The Beyonders. Yeah. Now, this is 1980. This is way before there were any secrets about any wars. Exactly. So, did Jim Shooter pull the Beyonders idea out of this? 
or did the two individuals use the same name coincidentally and it was later retconned to be connected or what? That I am not sure of, but either way, they are the same. Either way, they're the same. Yeah, they are related to that and also to the Beyonders that were involved with all the incursions leading up to the last Secret Wars that we'd had back in 2015. Right, right, right. All those are the Beyonders, yeah. Yeah, it's all the same group of people. And I had never heard of Beyonder as a plural until around the time of the new story. Um, Because I'd always, you know, just associate the Beyonder singular, capital B, with Marvel Superhero Secret Wars and then Secret Wars 2. Yeah, they also were behind, by the way, the creation of the Savage Land. Is that said here, or did I did I not know that? No, it's not said here. I'm, I had brought up in the Marvel Wiki originally to look up the Beyonders just to see, to make sure I was right that they are related. Mm-hmm. And it just says, unfortunately, they kind of skip over this and even most of the original Secret Wars and kind of mostly focus on the more recent Secret Wars. As one but, of several planetary game preserves. Yeah, but it does say here, for history, the first paragraph is, the Beyonders were near... Um, omnipotent alien race from a dimension outside the Omniverse. They commissioned the Nuwali to create the Savage Land. And that is, a- is explained in Marvel Atlas number two, which I think is just what it says on the tin. I think it's just a book about different sites, and that came out in 2008. So whether that was based on comic lore that had already been established, or it was just making up stuff there on the spot, I don't know, but that's it was it was in the uh, atlas that the wiki gets its site from. Now, Citation. I don't I don't remember how much stuff the Beyonders Mark Grunewald did afterwards, mm-hmm. but I would say if his Beyonders and Jim Shooter's Beyonder were originally just created separately, like you know not intended to be the same one, and the fact that later on they were they found someone found a way to retcon it to be all the same, I think Grunewald Grunewald would have approved. He would have liked that. I think so, too. That's basically what he did. I mean, he's the reason that Thanos is an Eternal. The Beyonder is? No, no, Mark Grunewald. Okay. When he did the backup story, he was one of the writers of the backup stories in What If, in the original series, that established what... uh, uh, Because remember, originally, Thanos was just like a demigod. He He was was just an alien from the moon of Saturn. Yeah, well, he was more intended to be like a, a relative of Hercules. He was like a demigod. For what they said, it was like related to the Greek gods. It was Grunewald later on who kind of retconned it to be that they're part of the eternal. They were like a uh, mentor was an eternal and the brother for the brother to uh, Akars' father, Zorus. Yeah. I'm also reading about the Beyonders page that it's possible that those who sit above in shadow are also Beyonders. Um, those who sit above in shadow are this, of course, shadowy group. They're only mentioned a couple of times throughout Marvel history, but they are above the Asgardians as far as the Asgardians are above Earth. Oh, I remember them. Weren't they in the uh, X-Men Alpha Flight? Exactly. That's, I think, their first appearance. Yeah. The creators, Chris Claremont, Paul Smith, X-Men Alpha Flight, number one. Yeah. Um. So they... If the Asgardians ever seem to be talking about higher powers, it's those who sit above in shadow. But anyways, that's just background lore that really has no bearing on this. Yeah, but I just thought it was interesting when I saw the first time I read this. I'm like, the Beyonders? What? Yeah, I, I, I clued into that, too. I was like, huh. 
Um, so he's moving stuff. He's moving a planet for the Beyonders. They want a planet. He's got this planet. And the reason that he won't let them on initially is because they're on a timetable and it takes a lot of effort to shut down the field so they can be, get on the planet without dying or without being sucked into stasis, I think. Yeah, because all those little satellites around are basically helping, it looks like, keep the gravity together so the ship planet doesn't fall apart, be mm-hmm. moved, and also keeps everything un- like in stasis. So nobody knows, what, you, don't, you don't have a panic of peop- a planet of people panicking and freaking out. Because basically the high evolutionary, he goes from, I want my planet back to, well, this is kind of cool. All right, well, you can have it. Uh, I want to come with you, though. I want to see what's going on. Oh, and let them go to the planet to find something real quick. And they're like, well, we can't really do this. We don't have the time to turn it off. So Ben negotiates. Ben negotiates. I'm going to make some time. Yeah, <laughs> by punching people in the face. Uh, what's weird is when they get down there and her resurrects Warlock, he's not all decomposed and gross, which is kind no. of what I was expecting. I don't know if that has something to do with his artificial origin or if that's all her. I mean, she did bring him back. So basically, did she bring him back and make sure everything was, you know, cool? Because, I mean, why would you bring back a rotted corpse? That's kind of gross. Yeah, I'm looking at the narration. Um, She does pour a lot of energy into the ground before he comes out. Yeah. So possibly restoring him down below was her first phase and then pulling him out of the ground was her second phase because when whenever he's up she thinks he's alive again she has tried to reach into the ectosphere to use my made-up words from earlier she has tried to pull his soul into his body and she has not been successful because his soul is in the mind gem or soul gem rather and the soul gem is not here yeah the gardener has it now yeah he's basically like a body on life support like a right. brain dead body. It's still it's alive, but that's all it is. It's just nothingness. Mm-hmm. It's a shell. The fact that it even stands there successfully is surprising to me. Actually, in the first panel, it looks like she's holding him up, but um, not in the other panels. Um, so she puts him back to the ground because she can't have her babies with him. Yeah. And then she decides to fly off. And As one that's does. it. Story's over. We have to assume that everyone gets back in the ship. The the others get back in the scroll ship and go back to Earth. We're assuming that that happens. We don't know for certain. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe they're still stuck in space in 64. We'll never know because it's not like I have easy access to the very next page. No, they're definitely in, um, in the city in a street scene at the beginning of the next issue. Well, I guess they, I mean, they had, they did, they did go in the high evolutionary's moon ship. So yeah. both their ships are there. So they can do whatever they want. They had a way. That's going to be nice when you meet with your friends and you all go somewhere together. And it's like, no, no, we can take everyone's cars. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Just go home for wherever we are, wherever you want to do. It's all good. We're going to do the feedback now and then we'll get to the closing. And then that's it for the episode. And this time the feedback is for episode 151. Setting Buildings on Fire, Part 4 of the Wilderness Years. And our guests that episode were Sarah Sentry and Essie Fleenor from Bitches on Comics. We talked about Captain Marvel 62 and Marvel Spotlight 1 and 2. On Facebook, the post about that episode was liked and shared by Joe Sedano, Gene Hendricks, Pat Sampson, and Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. On Twitter, 
we got likes and retweets from the Ghoul Queen of Zernar, MetaHuman Hunter 58, streaming addict 2022, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Direxer, Rod Election Broadcasting, Viet Huynh, S.E. Fleenor, Connor McKenna, Tomes of Evil, a comic book villain podcast, Ed Moore, Last Sons of Krypton, Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders podcast, Capes and Lunatics, Trapped in a World, Bitches on Comics, a bi-weekly pop culture podcast, Jason Snake Venable, Sarah Sentry, Chris Lydon, El Collectionista de Comics, Mock Chicken Leg, All the Superman Comics, Multiverse of Badness podcast, Doc Strange, All-Star Squadron, Legion Superheroes Visual Reference, Dave's Comics Heroes Blog, and The Comic Book Broadcaster. Remember, if you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me pretty much every week on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-Cast. On that show, we talk about the late 80s, early 90s DC comic sci-fi series, Legion. That's the one with the acronym and Lobo in it, not Legion of Superheroes. You can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed, and you can find the link to that on our show notes. If you want to hear your name said here, or you have a comment or anything about the episode you want to send to me, well, first of all, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I would read the whole thing on the show. That'd be awesome to get one. Been a while since I had one, so come on, somebody, leave a review. Preferably a good one, of course. You can also send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Again, I will read that on the show. You can like and share our posts on Facebook. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box, and our group will show up. On Tumblr, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com, or follow us on Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. Finally, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective is a podcast network that was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances, and you are going to hear a promo for one of the other Collective shows right now. Hello, I'm Alan. I'm Rebecca. And if you're listening to this, then we recommend that you check out our podcast, the DCAU Podcast, where we watch the original DC animated movies, starting from Batman Masculine Phantasm and continuing on to Justice League, Dark, Apocalypse War, and beyond. And we will cover such heroes as Batman, Superman, the Batman, Wonder Woman, Victorian Steampunk Batman, The Flash, Batman Beyond, Green Lantern, Old Man Batman, Martian Manhunter, and plenty more versions of Batman. Lots and lots and lots of Batman. You can find the DCAU podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else that you can get podcasts by looking up the DCAU podcast and subscribe today. And so that ends the resurrection of Adam Warlock. Yeah, it was an interesting read. Um, I didn't know what to expect knowing that this was, you know, high evolutionary and I'm Warlock, but it's just, it just feels like, if nothing else, it fills in some gaps and explains some stuff from the Starlin run that I didn't already have. But on the on the way of doing that, it was also a very good story and gave me some insight into her I didn't have before. I haven't read a whole lot to do with her, and I know that her connection to Adam Warlock is basically in name only going forward. Like, it doesn't yeah. really matter that nope. much. 
Because she's um, never been involved in any of the other stuff. Right. And I used to be under the impression that the third Infinity series, where he's fighting a female um, goddess, I thought that was her. And then I recently read the Infinity Crusade, and no, that is not her. That is his good side, gone bananas. Yeah, it's basically the opposite of Amigas. Mm-hmm. And just like an extreme opposite, it is extreme. Exactly, yeah. Her will go on and do some stuff, but unfortunately, it's kind of like this. Like, she has, like, a little story maybe that involves her, and she's there for briefly, and then it, there's kind of, like, nothing for a while. And then she pops up again briefly, and then there's nothing for a while. And she's got to change her name several times. Yeah, I saw Kismet was the next thing she uses. Yeah, Kismet, uh, Aisha, Jarita Starduster. She has a couple different identities. Trying to find her own. But yeah, I really enjoyed this. I was glad to get the chance to read it. Yeah, it was a fun little thing. You know, the more we're talking about, the more I wish somebody would do for her what they did, what Starlin did for Warlock. Like, I'd love to see some kind of creator take her and do something with her and her, you know, do something with her. Right. Or Kismet, I guess, whatever. I mean, thankfully, at least she does get names later on because that it's like when he was called him. That's so annoying. Well, they have done stuff with her. It just hasn't stuck. And sometimes I wonder if the only reason that Adam Warlock has stuck is because Jim Starlin keeps going back to that well. Like if there, if there were a Jim Starlin for Warlock for well, her. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like people have done stuff with her, but it's always part of it. With the exception, I think, of like a Marvel Comics Presents story or two. No mm-hmm. one did something for just her. She was part gotcha. of another some other stories where there was Alpha Flight or Quasar or something else. She was part of other people's stories. Right. You know, Starlin, or like I said, I mean, granted, Starlin is the most successful. That's why I keep thinking of it. But actually, it was Roy Thomas who did it the first time. He took Warlock and gave gave him his own story and said, this is your thing. You got a thing now. Be kind of cool if somebody was able to do something with her as well. Mm -hmm. Because at least then, if we ever if we actually ever do really get I mean, beyond I think they meet once very briefly during right around the time of Finney Gauntlet. But like it's like for like a panel. Be nice to actually have them meet at some point where they both actually have their own stories, their own things, you know, their own stuff. Because otherwise, if they were to meet now, she would just be dragged into his story. Yeah. But um. But but yeah. Anyway, good stuff. So there's that. What All is right. uh, what is next on the um, on the docket for Adam or Adam related stuff? The next episode is entitled Puny God. And we're going to be covering Hulk 248 with John, Thor 314 without John, and then Thor 317 with John. Hulk 248 and Thor 317 are my tidbits? Yep, and David Spothworth will be here in the middle for Thor 314. All righty. So that's our next episode. But before we get to that, John, people want to hear you in between now and then. Where else can they go? So it might be known to some people that I have read a lot of Superman comics. Um, I have read every Superman comic book from the pre-crisis era, and I'm working on post-crisis. But when I got to the Crisis on Infinite Earths storyline, I decided to podcast about it. So right now, pretty much every week on Mondays, you will find an episode of Superman in Crisis, 
which is where I talk about uh, issues of Crisis on Infinite Earths and all of these Superman adventures that were published alongside them. And basically, whenever an episode comes out, I'm talking about the comics that were uh, published on that day, but in 1985, 1986. So you can find that on any good podcatcher, search Superman in Crisis. You can also find it over on my website, johnreadscomics.com, which has links to all of my past podcasting endeavors as well, such as Make Ours Marvel, Amazing Spider-Man Classics, Golden Age Superman, and all that stuff. I'm also on Twitter, at johnreadscomics, and there's no H in john so if you need to hear some more john in between now this episode and next you know where to go but thank you for having me this was a lot of fun yeah thanks for being here so guy everyone we'll see you next time bye resurrections and adam warlock and thanos podcast is a fan-made production and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Explains that she'd been waiting long for the offer. Explains that she'd been waiting long for the artificial. <clears throat> Durak. Duraxer. Duraxer. Duraxers. Duraxers. Duraxer. At Adam. Th-